Good morning, church. My name is Austin, and I work on staff here with our kids' ministry. And we just want to take this opportunity to welcome you to Cross Point Church this morning. And if you are new with us here this morning, uh, whether that be here in the room or if you are watching uh, for the first time online, we just wanted to say once again, welcome. Uh, we are honored that you have chosen to worship the Lord with us today. And uh, we would love to have a record of your visit as well. So you can go to crosspointchurch.com slash guest. That's crosspointchurch.com slash guest. And if you are uh, new with us this morning, you're wondering what is Crosspoint Church all about? We exist to point people to Jesus and inspire them to live the cross-shaped life. And we do that in four ways. Number one, through worship, which is what we're about to do right here in the room, and what those of you who are watching online are about to do in your living rooms. Number two, through discipleship, which is where we meet intentionally in small groups throughout the week, and also what we do in our homes with our families. You saw a perfect depiction last week of family discipleship um, with the Alford family, with Kenley being baptized by her father. The third way we carry out our vision is through serving, which is where uh, we serve here on Sunday mornings, but we also serve in our neighborhoods and our communities throughout the rest of the week. And number four, we do it through sending, which is where we take the gospel of Jesus Christ across the street and across the world. So if you will, go ahead and stand to your feet as we begin our time of worship. The first song that we're gonna sing today is called Battle Belongs. And the first few lines of the chorus, I'm not gonna sing it for you, but the first few lines of the chorus uh, say, so when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh Lord, the battle belongs to you. And you see this posture all throughout scripture of those who are about to fight a battle have their knees bent, arms raised because they are showing their dependence on God in that battle. And so my encouragement to you as we begin our time of worship is to be sure that the posture of your heart this morning is knees bent, arms raised because you are dependent on the God who promises to fight our battles. Good morning, Cross Point. Awesome to see everybody here in the room this morning. If you're watching online, thanks for watching with us. Let's sing out that the battle belongs to God this morning. Jesus, there's nothing in the 
that today. Uh, we have the privilege this morning to hear a story of somebody who has come to know Jesus and to hear that story. So let's take in that privilege this morning and go to the baptism.
we had a little technical problem, so I was online uh, making comments in the service, trying to help folks online. Uh, we were just a privilege to get Charles baptized. You know, uh, one of the roles we have as a member of the church and as a part of Cross Point is to be a growing disciple. You know, what does that mean in the life of a Cross Pointer? Whether you're just attending here, and I met some folks today that are here for the first time. They've been joining us online. And let me just say, for those of you that worship with us online each week, um, we would love to have you join us in person. We've still got room for you. And uh, we wear masks when we're coming and going in the room. And uh, we use distance seating. All of our chairs are set up in a distance fashion. We'd love to have you be a part of us. And so it's great to have each of you here. There's a verse in Luke, Luke 9, 23, and it says this. Jesus is talking, and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So part of the journey as a disciple is to take up, is first deny ourselves and take up the cross of Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is a sign of, of a growing disciple is through giving because it takes a mature believer to give back to God what's already his. And it's a privilege and a joy and it's with a cheerful heart that I tell you that I give, every time I get paid, I give to the Lord, to his church, to this church, because that's biblical, it's the biblical model. And, and then to have the privilege to also give an offering to the Lord. And so today I wanna ask you if you would join us uh, in giving to God through several methods. One of those is our website. You can go to our website, crosspointchurch.com slash giving. You can also text give to 678-582-8180. Or you can go to the app. You can give through the app. And you, if you're here in person, we have some giving centers in the back of the room and in the lobby. And you can drop a contribution there, an envelope or a check or whatever uh, works well for you. One of the things that we want to do is we always want to make a connection with you about growing in Christ. And that's the journey of being a disciple. We get the privilege to come here for those of you that are doing that here and those of you that will join us in person to come and worship in person and express our gratitude and our praise and our thanksgiving to God. So let's pray right now, and then we're going to give you a couple of moments to give, and then we're going to come back, and Luke is going to lead us again in worship. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, it's a joy and a privilege to know you as Savior. I want to thank you today for Charles and for his testimony. God, as he continues his walk as a believer, he, uh, he celebrated his public profession of his faith in baptism today. And I know there are others here, God, who've made that decision but have yet to step forward and make that public. And so I want to encourage anyone here today, anyone listening today, if you're, if you're struggling with that choice, we'd love to help you in that public profession of your faith in Christ. And today, God, as we give, we're grateful to have the privilege to give. We're grateful for the jobs that you've given us and the resources you've provided for us. And so, Father, as we've just been singing, the battle belongs to you. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't belong to any man in this world. It belongs to Jesus who already paid the price for us of his life on the cross. Thank you for giving us the privilege to give and the privilege to worship you today, God. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
we're going to sing a new song uh, this morning in the middle of the service here, if that's okay with everybody. And uh, the song is called uh, Goodness of God, the Goodness of the Lord. And uh, as I was studying in, in prep for this morning, this week, I did a little bit of a, a study on this concept of goodness because it wasn't super clear to me when I thought about it what, what that means. Does that mean that God is kind to us? Does that mean that God is generous to us? Does that mean, you know, what is, what is the word good? The word good can mean a lot of different things. And um, I studied out a bunch of different verses in scripture, um, but I wanna share one in particular that I, I came across. There's a lot of David singing to the Lord in Psalms and talking about the good, this concept of goodness. And in uh, Psalm 31, in verse nine, he says that uh, how abundant is God's goodness, how abundant is the goodness of the Lord, specifically to those who fear him, two things, one, fear him, and to those who take refuge in him. And the one thing I wanted to share is that I came across a concept in many different places in scripture, and this, concept, this, this concept of goodness, that there's a tie between God's goodness and taking refuge in him. My life verse is in Hebrews, and it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And maybe for you this morning, you came in, and maybe God wants to say to you this morning, here's what I need you to do. Talk's gonna talk about depression today, especially maybe if you're in that place. Maybe God is saying to you this morning, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to look at me. I said it to my kids all the time, right? Because I need them to focus on what's coming out of my mouth, right? Just look at me for a second. And when, when we lock eyes, when you, when, we, when you look at me, you will see my goodness. One of, the, one of the lines in the song we're gonna sing says, the goodness of the Lord never fails me. The goodness of the Lord overwhelms me. I love that concept and I'm, I'm gonna love singing it together with all of us this morning that the goodness of the Lord can overwhelm us. When we look at Jesus and look at him in the face, his goodness is abundant. Psalms tell us that, it's abundant. We just look at him for a second. Many, many things in life can overwhelm us. Can we look at Jesus this morning and let his goodness overwhelm us as well this morning? So I'd love to teach you the chorus as we, uh, as we sing it, uh, before we sing it, so we can sing this together. So the chorus goes something like this. The goodness of the Lord never fails me. The goodness of the Lord, it overwhelms me. The goodness of the Lord is always true. Can you sing that with me? The goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord never fails me. The goodness of the Lord overwhelms me the goodness of the Lord is always true when my heart is held The love 
Sing the goodness. The goodness of the Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we just we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you, and we just thank you that we were able to celebrate baptism this morning, Lord, for the precious person who just, he came and wanted to jump in, Lord, and just say, I am here full on, and I want to make it public, Lord. And through this, Lord, through this song, we just thank you so much that your goodness, it has overwhelmed us. It overwhelms us and the opportunity we can come to for you today, no matter where we are in life, Lord, if we are coming from a point of hurting, if we're coming from a point of sorrow, of overwhelmness, Lord, your goodness, no matter what, will carry us through. We thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity. We pray for Doc as he comes. Lord, speak through him. Help it resonate through us today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Wonderful and a great morning to all of you here in our room, to those of you who are watching online, watching my TV, computer, iPhone, whatever your iPad, thanks for watching today. Uh, our student pastor, Riley Lester, reminded, uh, I want to tell all of our staff, the number one cardinal rule when you get up to speak, never unplug your own mic. So Riley, wherever you are, I hope that is a lesson you have learned. Now, Winston Churchill called it the black dog. And years ago, when I was living in Mississippi, that black dog showed up at my house, unannounced, uninvited, unexpected. I went to bed on a Sunday night. I mean, I was feeling great. Life was good. I was happy. The church I was pastoring was growing. My tennis game was in great shape. My marriage was strong. I had two beautiful boys. I'm telling you, my life was hitting on all eight cylinders. And I woke up Monday morning, and when I woke up, and I rolled over, opened my eyes, that black dog was staring me right in the face. For the first time in my life, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to leave my room. 
And that black dog slept by, by, slept by my bed every single night for three months. For 90 days, I went through the most difficult, darkest time of my entire life. I still don't know why that dog showed up at my door. But I refer to that day as Black Monday because that was the day the stock market of my life completely crashed. And to this day, I don't really understand why. I didn't know the dog's name at the time, but I learned it. You may have heard of this dog. His name is Depression. By the way, if you ever meet this dog, you'll know what his name is. He won't leave you in any doubt. Let me tell you about three months of my life. For every day for three months, I deserved an Academy Award for being the best actor in the country. And did I ever put on a show? I faked everything. Smiles, laughter, peace. I never let anybody know it was a battle for me just to get out of bed every morning and to take a shower and put on my clothes. Every day felt like Halloween. Because I'd get up in the morning and the first thing I'd do is I'd put a mask over my face and I would pretend that everything was fine. If you've ever been depressed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is nothing more depressing than being depressed. Nothing. And we're in a series that we're calling No Hard Feelings. And today we're going to deal with one of the most powerful emotions I know of anywhere. And that is the emotion of depression. You know, we think about feelings, how important feelings are to us. Some of the most popular songs we've ever written and, and sung and heard are about feelings. Hooked on a feeling. You've lost that loving feeling. Peaceful, easy feelings. But there is one emotion, there's one feeling that's just devastating. It's like a typhoon or a tornado that just rips through your heart and leaves it in shattered. And it's called depression. In February, I want you to listen to this. In February of 2018, the New York Post ran an article about Yale University. There was a psychology course that was being offered there, and the class had become the most popular class that's ever been offered in the history of Yale University. Nearly one-fourth of all the undergraduates at Yale enrolled in that class voluntarily. The course was all about teaching students how to lead a happier, more satisfying life. The, the teaching professor, Larry Santos, said, there is a serious mental health crisis among the students. And in 2013, the Yale College Council found out that more than half of the undergraduates in their school had severe mental health problems highlighted by depression. Now, the good news is God's Word has a lot to say about feelings. And God's Word has a lot to say about emotions because the God that created us knows we are a creature of feelings. And one of the things I love about the Bible, we're going to see this morning, when God paints the portraits of biblical characters, they're not photoshopped. There's no plastic surgery. When you see people in the Bible, you see their warts, their wrinkles, their falls, and their flaws. And today we're going to look at one of the most famous men in the Bible. If you know anything about the Old Testament, it was a prophet named Elijah. And if you want to find the passage we're looking at this morning, it's a book called First Kings. You don't know where that is? It's easy to find. It's right before Second. Kings, all right? It's 1 Kings. Just go to Genesis, turn right, you'll find it. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me tell you about a man named Elijah. If you don't know who Elijah is, let me give you a little short biographical sketch. If God had a hall of fame, 
Elijah would be elected on the first ballot unanimously. He was one of the greatest men in all of the Bible. He was filled with God's power. He was the first man in the Bible ever to raise somebody from the dead. His ministry was legendary. Everybody, you just mentioned Elijah. Everybody in Israel knew who he was. And yet, we're about to see he was so depressed, he wanted to commit suicide. And the amazing thing you're going to study today, we're going to find today, he had every reason not to be depressed. Because just before we read what happened to him, he was at the top of his game. He had achieved one of the greatest single-handed victories in any battle or contest in history. He had just gone toe-to-toe, face-to-face with 450 false prophets of the pagan god Baal. He had defeated every one of them in a spiritual contest where everybody's life was on the line. Just before what we're about to read happened, he was right and tight with God. Just before his depression, he had predicted there would be a nationwide drought, and it became true. And you know why? Because he prayed for God to stop the rain, and God stopped the rain. And then when things got really desperate, he was so powerful, he prayed for God to start the rain, and the rain began to fall. And yet, he was depressed. So why was he depressed? Well, if you're a man, you can appreciate this. He faced the one thing that will make the biggest, strongest man in the world depressed. He was facing the wrath of an angry woman. He was depressed. Ahab was a wicked king of the nation of Israel. His wife was one of the most, I say, infamous women in history. Her name was, anybody know her name? Yeah, Jezebel. You ever met a woman named Jezebel? No, and you won't. Nobody names their little girls Jezebel. She was a piece of work. She was wickedness on steroids. And when word got back to them of what Elijah had done to their prophets, that Elijah was trying to turn the nation back to God, Jezebel hit the roof. So we read the story now in 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel puts out a contract on Elijah's life, and she says, if nothing else happens in my life, boy, I'm going to kill you. I am going to take you out. You have messed with the wrong woman. And I mean, in the snap of a finger, Elijah just goes from the mountaintop of delight to the valley of depression. But here's the good news. He got out of that valley. He got back on top of the mountain. And the beautiful thing is, the way he did it, you can do it. Elijah got out of that valley with God's help, and so can you. And he found in God a bridge over troubled waters of depression still available to us today. So maybe some of you walked in here today and you're wearing your mask. 
You're putting on that, that Academy Award winning performance. Nobody would ever know that it was a fight and a battle just for you to get out of bed and be in church this morning. Or right now you're sitting at home watching me and you're not even sure you, you don't even want to stay on the computer right now. You are so depressed. Let me give you three keys, three steps on how to cross that bridge. First thing you've got to do is this. You've got to admit the reality of your depression. That's one thing a lot of people don't want to do, but that's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to admit the reality of your depression. Now, before I get started, let me just say one thing. There's a difference between sadness and depression. I mean, it's natural for everyone to be sad at some times in life. We all have those days when we're down in the dumps and we have the blues. Let me just tell you something. You may already know this. Every time Georgia loses on Saturday, I'm sad on Sunday. You just need to know that. I'm not depressed but I'm sad. But here's the good thing. Sadness normally doesn't last very long. You know, even at times if it lingers, even if, you know, when you're sad, you're still able to laugh. You're still able to live. You're, you're still able to just, don't, you know, go about your business. But depression's different. Sadness eventually goes away. Depression sticks like glue. Somebody put it this way. They said, sadness is like a splinter who eventually stops to rest, but depression, depression is an endurance runner. It just keeps going. And when your sadness gets into that quicksand of, of, of depression, you can't get out of, and it blinds you. You're so blinded, you can't even see the sunshine on its brightest day. Then you know you are in a major depression. Now, depression is a big problem, a huge problem, both nationally and globally. Let me just give you some examples. Depression is now the leading cause of disability in the United States and worldwide. I didn't know that. The leading cause of disability. Antidepressant use has soared nearly 400% in the last 30 years. Antidepressants are now the most common medication for young, adult, young adults. I know some, I'm not going to call names, I know some of you. I've got people in my family, they're on antidepressants. Depressive disorders affect a staggering 19 million adults in the United States. Depression ranks among the top three workplace issues in the United States, along with family crisis and stress. Now listen to this. It costs us $210.5 billion a year in lost earnings. If you're 30 years old, you are 10 times more likely to be depressed than your father and 20 times more likely to be depressed than your grandfather. Man, no wonder that depression has been called the common cold of mental illness. Now, I learned in my research there are basically four degrees or four stages of depression, and they go in, in, in descending order. Sometimes it's just dejection. It's just this temporary feeling of sadness. It will go away, but you're, you're dejected. But if it doesn't go away, that leads to discouragement, and that gives you this temporary feeling that it's all hopeless. I'll never climb out of this thing. But then there's despondency. There's this intense feeling of sadness that can last for weeks or months, which affects eating habits and sleeping patterns. We'll see that in a moment. But then that leads to despair. And this is the dangerous stage. This is emotional instability that can lead to thoughts of, if not actual, suicide. So if you're in any of these four stages, but particularly if you are in the last one, let me tell you the most important thing. I beg you to do this. Tell somebody. Admit it to somebody. Take off the mask and let somebody know you are really struggling. Don't hold it in because that's what Elijah did. Look what he did. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat, un sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
Now, Elijah would have been a terrible poker player because he was honest enough to look the Lord in the eye and let the Lord know, and anybody within earshot, I am depressed. And there's no shame in admitting it. Let me tell you why. Look, good people get depressed. Godly people get depressed. Great people get depressed. Kings and prophets and prime ministers and CEOs and, yes, pastors get depressed. Abraham Lincoln, one of the two greatest presidents in the history of our country, got so depressed at one time, he said this, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or get better. Be courageous enough to go to somebody and admit the reality of your depression. Now, once you do that, then you take the second step. You assess the reason for your depression. You assess the reason. of your, you, you, you admit the reality of it, but then you say, okay, why am I depressed? Now, I'm a case in point. It's not always possible to pinpoint why you're depressed. If you put a gun to my head today and say, hey, pastor, why did you go through that three months of depression? Why did you wake up depressed on Monday morning? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But sometimes there are obvious reasons why people are depressed. So you need to stop and consider your situation. In fact, one of the most amazing things about depression is often it will attack you, not because things are going poorly, but when things are going well. Because let me remind you, Elijah just come off the Super Bowl of, 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 of winning a battle. He had had this great victory face-to-face, toe-to-toe, 400 false prophets, 50 false prophets. He defeats them. He destroys their ministry, and then in the snap of a finger, he goes from his highest high to his lowest low. It happens a lot. Let me give you an example. If you're a football fan, you know this. A football team will play a very highly ranked, difficult opponent, and they'll beat them. How many times the next week? Jack, you've seen this. The next time they play, they come out flat. You go, man, what happened? You know, we just played Florida and killed them last week. I, I wanted to get that in, Jack. We just played Florida and killed them last week. Now I'm playing, you know, the mothers of the poor. And we barely beat them. Why? How can you go from a high, high to a low, low? Here's another example. My favorite week of the year is Christmas week. Guess what my least favorite week of the year is? The week after Christmas. Why is that? Easter. The highest high a pastor gets on every year is Easter. Why? It is the most highly attended Sunday of the year. Guess what? Monday after Easter, Black Monday. High, high, low, low. But let me give you a warning. There's one thing when you get depressed you will want to do, and it's the worst thing you can do. And it's to hibernate in isolation. This is what, I, what he did. Listen to what happens. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. So now he's by himself. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down on it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Elijah commits the cardinal error. He did the one thing you cannot do when you know you are depressed. He totally isolated himself. He got away from everybody, and and he thought maybe that could help him, but it couldn't. Because see, here's what happens. When you're depressed, this is what I want to do every day. Here's what you want to do when you're depressed. 
you want to withdraw, you want to be alone, you want to go to bed, you want to pull the covers over yourself, and you want to wallow in your own self-pity. That's why the vast majority of people who commit suicide, they always do it alone. Nobody ever invites people to a suicide party. They do it alone because they're that deep in depression. Now, when I did a little of my research on depression, I discovered there are at least three identical triggers for depression. You may be having one of these, so you might want to write these down because you may say, hey, that may be my problem. Sometimes depression can be physically triggered. Sometimes there can be a physical cause. See, Elijah had just run the equivalent of 12 marathons because we read in this passage, he's run the length of Israel all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. That's where the border of Israel ended. He had just come off a run of about 300 miles. He hadn't had anything to eat. His strength was gone. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was physically exhausted. So here's an example. If you are a workaholic, you go to work early, you work late at night, you eat on the run, you get very little exercise, you're not home very much, you are a prime candidate for depression. If you are a stay-at-home mother and you've got small children with unending household duties, crying babies, you are a prime candidate for depression. Because we now know that depression can be caused by chemical imbalances in the brain. I didn't know this. But the brain has chemical messengers. They're called neurotransmitters. And when those transmitters are healthy and normal, you're healthy and normal. When the brain has the chemical balance it ought to have, you're going to be chemically balanced. But when those transmitters are absent or they're off kilter, it can trigger major depression, which is why some people need medication to handle their depression. But then sometimes it can be emotionally triggered. Sometimes there's, there's, there's an emotional reason. Let me give you an example. A lot of people experience what I call 4D depression. Here's the four Ds. Death, disease, divorce, disaster. The, the, the majority of people I've dealt with who come to me who are depressed, you can almost always trace it to one of four things. Either the death of a loved one, the news that they've got a life-threatening disease, the divorce or the death of a spouse, or the loss of a job. I'd say 90% of the people I've dealt with, they had these emotional causes. Any of those things or all of those things can cause your emotion to come crashing down like an avalanche. So it can be physically triggered. It can be emotionally triggered. But what you cannot discount is sometimes it can be spiritually triggered. Sometimes there's a spiritual cause. See, God doesn't want you to be depressed, but there are other forces at work. I'm going to give you an example. I believe in a literal devil. I do. You may not. I do. Jesus did. I do. Just like I believe in a literal God. And I can tell you right now, Satan wants you depressed. He is the ultimate joy killer. But I got news for you. Sometimes depression comes from God. You say, why would God send depression? If you are living right now in unconfessed, unrepented sin, you've turned your back on the God you say you know and you love. If you truly are a believer, you ought to be depressed. It'll be a depression straight from heaven. God will not let you be joyful. God will not let you be happy the way you ought to be happy if you're living in that sin. If that sin's always knocking at your door, depression will be right there every time you open it. And I know that for this reason. Psychologists say they've discovered 
probably the number one cause of depression. You know what it is? You won't believe this. The number one cause of depression is bitterness, repressed anger, the unwillingness, and we're going to deal with this one later, the unwillingness to forgive. Because see, here's what happens. When people get bitter at other people or they get bitter at God, they internalize it. And what happens is the milk of bitterness curdles into depression. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, none of those are my problem. I really can't pinpoint my depression. Don't let that, don't let that depress you. Because here's what you're going to find. I found it. You can still activate a potential cure for, for depression, even if you don't know the actual cause of depression, which leads to the third step. And that is, apply the remedy to depression. Once you admit the reality of it, once you assess the reason for it, then it's okay. What is the remedy? So let me just say this very clearly. Please hear me. There is nothing wrong with getting depressed. It's not a sin. There, there's nothing wrong with being depressed. It's not a sin. But the God who loves you and created you does not want you to stay depressed. There, there is a way out and there is a way up. In fact, in fact, this is amazing. I did a little research. There are indications that in, in the Bible that every single person that was depressed successfully managed their depression and they overcame it. And when I went back and looked at even just the life of, of, of Elijah, I said, you know what? There are three steps that people can take to deal with the depression. Now, let me just stop right here. You may need professional help. You may need to go to a, a, a Christian therapist or a Christian counselor. I do not want to discount that at all. You may need to see a healthcare professional to see if you've got a medical imbalance. But with that aside, there are three steps you can, you can take on your own to deal with depression, and all three are right here in our text. Listen to what Elijah did, what God led Elijah to do to get him out of his depression. First of all, physically recharge. Physically recharge. Now, notice what Elijah does first. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. Great move. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Elijah did two things, and it immediately lifted his mood. It, it immediately helped him with his depression. First of all, he took a nap. Got some sleep, much needed rest. And then he ate a good meal. And he said, why is that so important? Well, you think about it. If you've ever been depressed, you know this. If you really get depressed, you'll find two things hard to do. Sleep peacefully and eat. I've never met a depressed person that says, I, I, I feel like eating. Matter of fact, they, they don't. But you know what? Here's what happens. When you say, I just don't feel like eating. And I just don't feel like sleeping. You're just making matters worse. Your plane is going like this, and you've got, you're, just, you're just pushing the throttle full bore. Listen, this is going to sound funny to you. One of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes in your life is just take a nap. Take a break. Get some rest. Relax. Eat a good meal. I, I love this. The great reformer Martin Luther, you know what he said one time? 
He got up one morning and he looked at his to-do list. Here's what he said. He said, I have so much I've got to get done today, I must go to bed. <laughs> Great advice. He knew what he meant. Sometimes that's exactly what the doctor orders. Get some rest. Eat. Make sure your body is physically replenished. Don't ever estimate just some good old-fashioned R&R to recover your emotional equilibrium. So number one, physically recharge. Number two, spiritually refresh. Physically recharge. Eat, drink, rest. Then spiritually refresh. So here's one thing. Let me tell you something. There's one thing that almost always happens to everybody that gets depressed, and that is you begin to focus more and more on you. You begin to focus more and more on whatever it is or whatever you think it is that is causing you to be depressed. That's one of the biggest mistakes Elijah made. See, when Elijah started looking down and looking around, he got depressed. What he should have been doing is looking up and looking above. But he was so overwhelmed, he said, I have had enough. You don't have to raise your hand. How many times have you ever said that in your life? I've just... I can't take anymore. I've had all I can take. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah had completely lost his focus on God. Elijah had completely forgotten who he was before God. And he was attending the one party you should never go to. Pity party. Can I just be honest? It's going to sound hard, but it's true. God doesn't do pity parties. Sorry. You don't have a pity party. God's not showing up. God does not do pity parties. God will have compassion on you. He'll love you, but he will not get into that pity party with you. Besides that, when Elijah said, I am no better than my ancestors, who told him that? God didn't tell him that. Satan told him that. Because the truth of the matter is, nobody had really said to him, you're no better than your ancestors. That's just depression. So what does God do? God steps in and he changes his entire focus. Look what the Lord does. The Lord said, go out. That is, get up, get out of your bed, go out of your house, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great, now watch, this is so cool. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Now, just draw it real close. When Elijah started looking up, instead of looking down and looking above, instead of looking around, when Elijah looked up, and he changed his focus, and he quit thinking about himself, and he started thinking about God, everything changed. Now, what specifically did Isaiah do? He did one simple thing, and it was the number one thing that got me out of my depression as I look back on it. He listened for God to speak. Now, I want you to hear me carefully. I'm talking to some of you right now. You say, I'm so depressed, I don't even know what to do. I'm with you. I've been there. I'm going to make two promises to you, and I guarantee them. If you give God your ear, he will speak to you. 
If you will give God your heart, he will minister to you. I cannot overemphasize enough that when you're depressed, you will never do anything more important than to get into God's word and listen to God's voice. Let me tell you what happened to me. That first day I was so depressed I didn't want to get out of bed. I never will forget it. Teresa came in because I'm, I'm an early riser. It was 8.30 and Teresa had gotten the boys off to school. I, she, she came in, are you sick? I said, no, I'm not sick. She said, do you have a fever? I don't have a fever. Do you feel bad? I don't feel bad. Well, why aren't you up? I don't want to get up. Why don't you want to get up? I don't know. Well, what, what can I do for you? Nothing. Just leave me alone. I mean, that's just, that's just where I was. But then I got up, and I did something I do every day of my life, and it was a battle, but I said, I'm going to win this battle. I read this book every single day for 90 days. I said, Lord, if you've never spoken to me before and you'll never speak to me since, I need you to speak to me now. And I'm telling you, I learned this. Every day I'd get into God's word, I'd calm my spirit, and I listened for God's voice. Now, let me tell you what happened. God never spoke out loud, never. I wish he did. We all want to hear that deep-faced James Earl Jones voice, right? You know, hey, I'm talking to you. God never does that. If he does something like that, you probably had too much Mexican food. <laughs> God never spoke to me out loud. He spoke louder than that. He spoke in this gentle, soft whisper because that's normally the way God speaks. I cannot tell you how many times in those 90 days I'd sit there in my Bible sometimes. I can't even talk about it now without crying. I can't tell you the number of times I'd read my tears would hit the page. I felt like God was a million miles away. I'd be reading, I didn't even want to read, but I just, I'd just force myself to read, and then I'd read a verse that says, this I know, God is for me. I, I'd read another, another verse that says, he will never leave me or forsake me, and there would be that little whisper in his word. Now, you may say, Pastor, why do you think God speaks in whispers? If you think about it, to tell you why he's God, why he's so wise. You know what you've got to do to hear a whisper? you got to get your ear close to that person's mouth. And the reason why God speaks to us in whispers is he says, I want you to come close. In fact, get in my lap. Let me put my arm around you. You put your ear to my mouth and I will speak to you. And I'm telling you, I learned, if you lean into God, you will hear his whisper, and that's exactly what he wants. Nothing will spiritually refresh you like getting into the word of God. And then the last thing is you've got to socially re-engage. Now, this is a hard part. Because remember, what do you want to do when you're depressed? Go by yourself, get, on, get under the bush, get out in the desert, go to the woods, get in the back of your house, get under the bed, get on the bed, pull the cover over you. I, I get it. But God is the master psychologist. Here's what he says to Elijah. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as a prophet. You know what he said to him? Get out of your house. Get out of that pity party and go find somebody to serve and something to do because isolation is a shovel that just digs the hole of your depression deeper and deeper and deeper. And he says, Elijah, get out of your isolation cage. 
Open the door and walk out. Go find somebody that you can spend time with and minister to and see what happens. One of the greatest psychiatrists of the 20th century was Dr. Carl Minninger. A depressed person came to him one time and he said, I've tried everything. I'm so depressed. I'm still depressed. Do you have any piece of advice that you can give me? I want you to listen to what Dr. Minninger said. He said, yes, sir, I do. Go home. Get out of your house. Lock the door behind you. Go across the street. Find somebody that has a need and do something to help them. See, the good thing about my depression, that was my job. That was my paycheck. I had to go serve other people. I had to go preach to other people. I had to visit other people in the hospital. I had to counsel other people. I didn't have a choice. I had to get out of my house, and I had to go help somebody else. So I get it. Depression can be difficult. But listen, we also provided some resources and links online that might help you deal with depression. If you're depressed, let me encourage you to do this. Just go right now to crosspointchurch.com slash depression. Just do that right now. There are all kinds of resources there that we will want to you to use to help you get out of your depression. Now, let me just close with this. You talk about depressed. You talk about despair. You talk about going about as low as you can go. I've been to a garden many times called Gethsemane. And there's a tree in there somewhere where Jesus was so depressed, so broken, so at the bottom of his life, he sweat blood out of his forehead. But at the bottom of his own valley, you know what, that, you know what Jesus did when he was at his lowest? He got up. He put a cross on his back. He climbed up a hill. And he died for you, and he died for me. And God raised him from the valley of death to the mountain of resurrection. And I'm telling you today by the authority of the Word of God that knows you better than you know yourself, if God can raise his son from the dead, he can raise your soul from the deep. If God can raise his son from the dead, he can raise your soul from the deep. If Jesus can turn water into wine, he can turn your depression into joy, for he is the bridge over troubled waters. Would you pray with me right now with heads bowed, with eyes closed? I want to pray for those of you who are watching right now and those of you in this room, you're listening to me. I want to pray for those of you who are dealing with depression. But before I do that, can I just say one quick word? Can I tell you the most depressing thing a pastor does in his ministry? There's nothing more depressing than this. You know what it is? It's when I'm asked to preside over the funeral of someone who we're pretty sure did not know Jesus. It's not just hard for me to do it. It is depressing. So I'm going to be blunt. If you were to die today and you're not sure that you'd spend eternity with God, if you were to die today or you even know you would spend eternity with God, you ought to be depressed. I'd be depressed. Because what can be more depressing than to die and go into a Christless eternity? But you don't have to live that kind of depression. 
and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by the way, that may be a major cause of your depression. Depression may be God's way of getting your attention. And so if you've never trusted in this Jesus who loved us so much, he went to a valley so deep in depression, nobody's ever been there but him. But he came out of it dying for us, and then he came out of a tomb raised from the dead. If you've never given your life to that Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that right now. This may very well be your first step in not just coming out of your depression, but knowing the one that will always be a bridge over your troubled waters. And you can do it right now just by praying this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. As I think about how much of a sinner I am, it's depressing. But you came to deliver me from that sin. You died for me. God raised you from the dead. You're alive right now. And I believe it. So this moment, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to become my Lord. I repent of all of my sin. Turn away from it. I give everything that I am to everything that you are. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And now, Lord, help me the rest of my life whether I'm on the mountaintop or the valley, to live for you. Now, if you're in this room and you prayed that prayer with me, or you're watching right now somewhere here or around the world and you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something. It'll be the best thing you'll do today. I want you to go get on your computer, your phone, or your iPad and do one of two things. Go to crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Do it right now. Or just text Jesus to this number. 678-255-2566. Text Jesus to 678-255-2566. Do it right now. Here's what will happen. You'll be taken to a, a place, a link, and it will tell you now how you begin to take your walk with God and how to take those steps with God. You know, one of the reasons why people get depressed even after they give their life to Jesus because they, they just stop. They just pray to give their life to Jesus. And they just stop. They don't get baptized, biblically baptized, which is the first thing a believer ought to do. They don't do that. They don't get involved in a church. They don't get involved in, in a community. And they stay depressed. So if you made a decision for Jesus today, you take that next step. If you're in this room, you made a decision for Christ, you want to get baptized, you'd like to join this church. There's a table out there called Connection Point. You go to that table. And you let them know, hey, I made this decision today. They'll know exactly what they need to do. Give them the material that you need to do. You'll be on your way out the door. Now, in just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing one last song. But let me tell you this. You may not be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm not. You not, may not be a trained therapist or a medical doctor. I'm not. But I'm telling you, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the most powerful tool in our hands to go to somebody that we love and care about and that gospel can begin their road of getting them out of that valley onto that mountain. That's why we say every week, you are sent. So would you stand to your feet right now and let's sing this one last stanza and then remember, there are so many people out there, they're in a valley of depression, they need help. You can't get them out of that valley, but Jesus can and will and we'll share him together.